Acts chapter 2. Last week we talked about, well let me back up and say this, that I have felt over the past couple of weeks just the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, to do a message on biblical and historical earmarks of Pentecostal Christianity. And so last week we started taking a look at those Pentecostal earmarks of Christianity. Uh, and the, the number one is that there is the baptism in the Holy Spirit with, uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so last week we took a look at what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. Man, I'm just, I'm getting stirred up just thinking about it. You and I need, we were singing this morning, Lord, send the fire. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost resident on the inside of us. You and I need that Pentecostal fire burning in our bellies. We need the Pentecostal fire of God in our lives. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that if you have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that the Bible says that that is a gift for all believers. Does it mean that you're going to hell if you don't have it? Absolutely not. You can, still, you can be born again and not have the gift, but, but man, how much better is life with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad a three or four of you agree with me. We'll pray for the rest of you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit later. I, I use the illustration often, I'll get on to the next point in just a moment, but I, I use the illustration often, if I were to see Bob, and Bob's sitting on the front row, so I'll pick on him, if I were to see Bob and said, Bob, I want to give you the car of your choice, whatever car you want, you can have that car, uh, the most expensive, you want a BMW, you want a Rolls Royce, whatever you want, you pick it, I'll pay the insurance, every feature that you want, everything, it's all yours, even with a full tank of gas. Wow. That's a pretty good deal. I'm not really going to do this, by the way, <laughs> but if I were, and then let's say I saw Bob a couple of weeks later, and, and Bob's all, you know, he's got all messed up, his, car, his clothes are all messed up, he's dirty, he's filthy, he's coming into church all a mess, and I'm like, man, what's going on with Bob? I mean, Bob's pretty sharp today, and Bob, Bob comes in all messed up, Bob, what's going on, man? What's happening? Well, you know, this, it's the car you gave me. Oh, really? I thought it's a brand new car. Yeah, it's the car you gave me. It's, it's just not, I don't know how to, it's just not running right. Okay, well, let's go take a look. Let's go. And so I asked Bob to show me how he gets the car running and get it going. And, and as I watch, Bob gets behind the car and he starts pushing it. <laughs> and pushing it. And pushing it all the way home. He's pushing his car all the way home. Well, Bob, I think I found out your problem. There, this is a real easy solution. I gave you the keys. Put the key in the ignition and start the car. Now, that sounds pretty ridiculous, but the truth is the same of Christianity. That how, how many times do we struggle through and struggle through and struggle through, and the Holy Spirit is like the key in the ignition, that, that if we would just engage with the Holy Spirit, if we would just engage with the Holy Ghost and praying in other tongues, you'll see that things just turn over and start to go just a little bit smoother. You can, you can go through and you can push your way through Christianity all you want. If you want to try in your natural strength, have fun, knock yourself out, but for for me, I want the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of me. I need supernatural power. I need the dunamis. Jesus said, and you shall receive and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so the second point that I want to take a look at today, the second earmark of Christianity, Pentecostal Christianity that we see through the uh, New Testament and even in history is passionate worship. 
And Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, what sound? What sound occurred? Them praying in tongues. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, and uh, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and all of them? The wonderful, verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. And others mocking said they are full of new wine. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and hear my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so there, there, is a, there is an earmark of Pentecostal Christianity of passionate worship. That when you and I are, are pressing into the presence of God, that we don't have to do so with, with somber, uh, melancholy tones. That we can enter in rejoicing, thanking God for what He's done in our lives. And man, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, I don't know how you can't but worship with exuberance and celebration when God comes in in that moment. He makes the, the reality of Christ real to us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5 5 sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. When the, when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the person of the Holy Spirit and the reality of His love for you, I can't help but shout. I can't help but sing. There's something that gets on the inside of me when I realize what God has done for me, how He set me free, how He saved me, how He healed me, how He delivered me. I've got to shout. I've got to sing, man. I, I've got to run, dance. I, it doesn't matter. But what's on the inside of me, the celebration on the inside of me has got to get out. <laughs> Catherine Kuhlman, Catherine Kuhlman said, you got to give vent to the Holy Spirit. You, sometimes you just need to open up your vent. You got to open up your mouth and let out a shout. It's okay. If you shout, we'll shout with you. Some of you may get nervous about that. Well, I've never shouted before. Well, you can start off with a little mouth. Yes! You can just start off with, yes! And you just work up. You know, when, you remember when you, when you first started, for those of you that lift your hands in worship, remember the first time you lift your hands in worship, it was kind of like, are they watching? And then, you know, you just start gradually, it just starts gradually going up. First it's one hand, then you start, yeah, and then eventually it's up. That's the same thing with shouting, you just, Thank you, Jesus, I've been set free. It just, it just works up. You just got to get it, get it up. Passionate worship. Let it, let it rise. Acts chapter 3 and verse 7 and through 10 says, 
And he took him by the right hand. Ooh, I love this story. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Man, it's okay if people see you walking, leaping, dancing, shouting. They, they, they probably need to see you do that. <laughs> These people needed to see this man leaping and dancing and shouting. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's the man that's been sitting by the temple gate, who's been lame, can't walk, he's been there begging alms, and here all of a sudden in the temple, he's shouting, he's rejoicing, he's dancing, he's leaping. Man, I'm telling you, when Jesus comes and liberates your feet to dance a little bit, to get happy a little bit, you can't help but shout, you can't help but dance, you can't help but rejoice in the presence of the Lord when Jesus sets you free. When Jesus comes on the scene, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That man couldn't walk. He was lame. But when he came in contact with the power of God, he started leaping and shouting and dancing and rejoicing. When you get a revelation of what God has set you free from, maybe God hasn't set you free from anything this morning, and that's why you have trouble being passionate in worship, because you don't realize what you've been freed from. But when you get a revelation of what you've been set free from, you can't help but dance and shout just a little bit. Passionate worship. People, well, they'll think we're crazy. Well, they probably will. They thought they were crazy on the day of Pentecost. They thought they were drunk. They thought that these folks were intoxicated. And Peter had to explain, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it's okay if you act a little drunk. Well, y'all got quiet on me there. It's okay if you act a little intoxicated. I'm not asking you to go drink a, a whiskey before you come into church. I'm asking you to drink the Holy Ghost, to drink of His presence. He'll liberate, you know... I've, you know, I've never seen, now let me just pause here and, and I'll digress just for a moment on drinking in the spirit, but we're from New Orleans and uh, so we're familiar with, with people drinking and, and imbibbing themselves a little bit in the natural and I've never seen, I've never seen a drunk person care what people think about them. <laughs> it just has not happened. Every drunk person I've ever seen, they, they, they don't care what people think, they're, you know... They either get really loving or really hateful or whatever, but they, they don't care about their circumstances. All of the inhibitions tend to just go away. And when you begin to drink of the Holy Spirit, the same is true. All of your inhibitions just start diminishing away. <laughs> Have a big drink. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable worship. We worship as a sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Sometimes it is a sacrifice to worship. Sometimes you may not feel like worshiping. Sometimes you may have everything else on your mind except for entering into the presence of God. And so we begin to come in by the Holy Spirit and we say, okay, God, I, I don't feel like this. My natural man does 
doesn't feel like worshiping today. I don't even know why I'm thankful or what I have to be thankful about. Do you really, God, do you really know my situation? you really know what I'm facing? I really don't seem like I have anything to be thankful for today. And you begin to say, God, I offer it as a sacrifice. This, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it, but I offer it as a sacrifice anyway. My pain, I offer as a sacrifice. My, my rejoicing, I offer as a sacrifice. My difficult day, I offer as a sacrifice. My family, I put it on the altar as a sacrifice, and I'll worship you anyway because you're good whether the circumstance says it or not. You're, you're faithful even when I don't see the faithfulness. Your word says that you're still faithful, so I'll worship you anyway. That's what a sacrifice of praise is. When, when you realize that your situation doesn't necessarily uh, in that moment look like it deserves worship. God deserves worship in the, middle of that, in the middle of that thing. I'm telling you, he does. And you say, God, in spite of this, I'll still worship you. In spite of how I feel, I still am going to worship. That's offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Psalms 100, we worship with thanksgiving. Psalms 100 says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. <laughs> well, we'll try this again. <laughs> I, I, I realize some of you are still catching up on the screen and in your Bible, so we'll give you that excuse. Psalms 100 says, we worship with thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Amen. Do you know that it's okay to shout? It's good. The Bible says you can shout in church. It says it right here. Shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble, I think, here. When is this going to be over with? How many things can you possibly cram into a service? Oh my goodness. Communion? We're going to pray for people? And who's that guy? Why is he down there? Oh my goodness. This is not serving the Lord with gladness. <laughs> serving the Lord with gladness says, thank you, Jesus. We get to celebrate communion today. Man, I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I get to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that I can get together. It may not sound the best. It may not be the best presentation. It doesn't matter. I get to worship you. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is, for the Lord is good and his mercy is, for the Lord is, and his mercy, there you go. That's, if you can get, man, if, if you can get that scripture in your belly, when you face difficult days, the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. The Lord is good. And you may go around just quoting that verse to yourself and in the middle of difficult, the Lord is good. And everybody will look at you and say, he's drunk, but that's okay. You're going to make it through. It's how you get through the day. You're putting on, that's how you put on Christ. You're putting on Christ and saying, I'm going to press through this situation. The Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. In Psalms 149, we see that we worship together. It says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly 
of his saints. So we come together and we worship the Lord together in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. It's in the Bible. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You know, there, there was a time when we, were, we had a... Um, of course, I feel like we were in a revival church, and we were, but there was a time where we had a supernatural, and back in 2011, our young adult ministry was having a, uh, back in New Orleans, a, a supernatural awakening, and it was nothing at night to find Heather and myself in our sleep laughing or praying in tongues. We'd wake ourselves up praying in the spirit or laughing. Man, when you get, when the touch of God comes on your life, and the presence of God becomes tangible on your life, you begin to sing to the Lord on your bed. Even in your sleep, you find yourself rejoicing to God. Some of you, I'll say this this morning, there might be some in this room this morning, you have nightmares and night terrors that keep you awake and unable to sleep. The Bible says that you can rejoice in the Lord in your sleep. On your bed, you can find rejoicing in God. You, you just begin to step into his presence, and those night terrors and things can break off your life. Amen. Psalms 150 says, worship, we worship God for who he is. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him with the clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 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 We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise him. So passionate worship. Lord, I say let the worship increase. Let it turn up. Turn up the volume, Lord, on our worship. Let it be exuberant. Let it be celebratory that we will praise you, Lord, with all of our strength and with all of our might. Everything, everything praise the Lord. In Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas in the prison. And it says in verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Man, in the middle of your bondage, you may be here this morning and find yourself in emotional bondage. You may find yourself in a, in a struggle uh, with sin or whatever the case might be. But whatever your chain is this morning, Paul and Silas found themselves beaten and in chains in the prison. They found themselves beaten and in chains in the prison. You may find yourself this morning feeling like you're beaten down emotionally and in some sort of chain or bondage. But in the middle of that, at midnight, in the darkness, Paul and Silas were praying out and singing hymns to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Man, when you begin to worship in the darkness, when you begin to worship 
in the bondage. It's, it's like transportation systems. It, it starts to transport you out of your shackle, out of your bondage, and into the presence of God. Before you know it, you find the people around you getting born again. You find the people around you getting ministered to. And so I want to encourage you, don't let your worship be quieted out by the people of this world. And don't let, don't let your worship get snuffed out because people think you're a little crazy. Let them think you're crazy because there's coming a day, I tell you, there's coming a day when, when it's okay that they think you're crazy because they will need, they will need on, the, on their voice, in their life, the worship that you've experienced. So it's okay if it's okay if you get a little happy in church and we we get a little passionate about worshiping God together because there are people that need to encounter his presence. There are people that need to encounter this life-changing power of God in their life and worship is transportation for those people. Brings them in. Man, just by us beginning to worship God corporately, passionately, the people around us that are in bondage can hear the sound. They're attracted to the sound that's going out. They're listening to to the hymns that are being sung. They're listening to the tongues that are being prayed and it's attracting them in. They don't know what's attracting them in. It's the power of the Holy Ghost that's resident on those songs and in that worship and in those tongues. But they're being drawn in by the Holy Spirit and lives are transformed because of that. The, the, the jailer's whole family was born again because of Paul and Silas worshiped God at the dark hour. So I want to encourage you. Don't, don't let... Life. Don't let people around you and, and people that will say things. All People are always going to say things. You worship God anyway. You press into God anyway and don't let them distract you. Christianity is not defined by our disciplines but our passion. I'll explain this. When you walk into somebody's home and, and you walk in the front door, you don't say to them, oh, those are nice two by fours. Obviously, when you walk into someone's home, you see the drywall, you see the paintings, you see the paint that they used on the wall. You see the things that characterize their passion for their family and their, their decorating style. You don't, you don't compliment the structure, you compliment their passion that's on display in their home. It's the same with Christianity. People don't come in and say, Jesus, Jesus said, they're not going to know you because you read the Bible so many hours a day. They're not going to know that you're my followers because you pray in tongues so many hours a day. It's not about the liturgy. It's not about the disciplines. It's not about the structure. It's about your passion. He said they'll know you by your love, your passion for him and one another. And so you have a passion for God, a passion for his presence. Passion will take you farther than discipline will any day. Discipline is important, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have disciplines. Absolutely, we need to read our Bible. Absolutely, we need to pray in tongues. Absolutely, we need to give. Absolutely, we need to do the things, the structure, the disciplines. But man, when you're passionate about somebody, I don't have to tell you, if you're passionate about your wife, that you need to encourage her and build her up and tell her how good she looks and all of those things. Why? Because it's a natural outflow of passion. When you love, your, when you love someone, the passion for that person causes you to be edifying and encouraging and supportive. You all hear what I'm saying this morning. Maybe we need to take a lesson in marriage class this morning. When, you, when you're passionate... For someone, you'll build them up and encourage them. You, you don't have to have someone sit and tell you, well, are you reading? Are, are you doing this so many hours a day? Are you doing this so many hours a day? Are you doing this? No, you just find the passion. Reignite the passion. Amen. So we, we are passionate for God. 
William F. Manley said this about Azusa Street. He said, there was a most remarkable incident of the sweetest singing I've ever heard by about half a dozen women, all in unknown tongues, in which at intervals one voice would die away in very plaintive strains while the others carried on the song. Then the former would break out in rapid, strong language, filled with unction, and others would give tones as if singing in the distance. This was most enchanting and filled with tender love. This singing was led by Miss Jeannie Evans Moore, who never could sing before until she was baptized with the Spirit. Here this lady is, she can never play the piano or sing, but she gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden she can sing, play the piano, and what, what they were described as, uh, in this passage, what they're describing is singing in the Spirit, that, that these ladies would begin to sing at Azusa Street, they would begin to sing out in tongues, in, in, a, in a harmony, in a melody, and it was like somebody conducting an invisible symphony, is what some describe it as, the, the Azusa Street Revival. Other ones said about the worship, the testimony meetings. Part of the services at Azusa Street is that they would have testimonies, and sometimes the testimonies would go on for hours of people just coming up and sharing what God had done in their life. And they said testimony meetings would precede the preaching, often continue for two hours or more, and people are standing waiting to testify all the time. Those who have received the baptism with the Holy Ghost testify they had a clear evidence of sanctification first. Hundreds testify that they received the Bible evidence of speaking in a new tongues that they never knew before. And so there's passionate worship as an earmark of our Pentecostal Christianity. Thirdly, there's physical manifestations that happen when the Spirit of God comes on the scene. You know, sometimes we people have a hard time a lot with the physical manifestations. And I'm going to show you some scriptures, but man, when... When the power of God begins to touch lives, something's going to give. If I were to take, and I'm not going to do this to Heather, but if I were to take Heather's finger, and there's, a, there's an outlet up here on the stage. If I were to take her finger and go plug it into that outlet, her hair would go and smoke, and then she would come home and kill me. <laughs> There'd be physical manifestations. It would be my death. There's physical manifestations. When you come in contact with the power of God, there, there is a physical, oftentimes physical manifestations. It's nothing to get afraid of or think is spooky. It's the presence of God touching someone's life. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 13 through 16, we read it earlier. They said, others mocking, said they are full of new wine. They thought they were intoxicated. They were under such influence of the Holy Spirit that they were spiritually intoxicated. They were acting drunk. Paul said in Ephesians, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled. Be being filled is the translation. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. He makes the parallel between natural drinking and spiritual drinking. That They have similar effects in our lives. So why drink alcohol? You can just drink of the Holy Spirit. You don't have any need for it. Just keep drinking of the Holy Ghost. The woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8, verse 46 through 47. But Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. Dunamis. He had dunamis power go out of him. Now when the woman saw that Jesus was that she was not hidden, when she saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She was shaking under the power of God and she fell before him. Again, physical manifestation of the presence and power of God. In John 18, verses 3 through 6, 
It says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with their lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And, Jesus, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you, there was, the, some statistics or historians say that there was nearly 600 army uh, officials with Judas at this point. 600 men with their swords, their lanterns, their torches, all these things. Jesus says, I am he, and all 600 of them bite the dust. Physical manifestation of the power of God. We were in a service a couple years back, and... Uh, we had a lot, it was funny, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of our leaders, this has been a few years, but actually a, a lot of our leaders right before we had left New Orleans and came here were in this service, and this, this was the service that God had really transformed their life. We had people, we had one particular girl, it was funny, one particular girl, as she was getting on the bus to go to the, the retreat, God said, God spoke to Heather and I and said, we need to, to watch her because she had drugs in her bag. So we knew from the moment she got on the bus what we were dealing with. And of course, she did. She had, she had marijuana or whatever on her, in her bag. And uh, later, she got set free and got rid of it. <laughs> it was awesome. And so, um, and so we get to the retreat center. She gets born again. We had several folks get born again at this retreat. It was powerful. And the last night of the service, God said, I want you to get them, get them all together and read this verse over them. So I've got, I've got my Bible, and I'm reading. It was Psalms 133, actually. And I'm reading Psalms 133. I'm standing and they're all, there's probably 70 or 80 of them, however many, right here in front. And I'm reading Psalms 133. They're all bunched up together. Read Psalms 133. And as I finished Psalms 133, the power of God hit the whole group, and they all were on the floor. So there, there is the, there's the power, tangible power, the tangible presence of God. It's not just for Benny Hinn or some TV preacher that you see, you know, doing whatever. It's for you and I to live in our daily lives, we should experience this. Man, when you see someone on the street, you should be ready and willing to flow in the power of God and minister to that person. You should be so full of the presence of God. Heather was talking Wednesday. All the time we have people that come to us and say, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but, and, they, and they, start, they break under the presence of God. Why? Because there's an anointing on our lives that they get around us and those things start to happen. Why? And, and, and people that would ridicule us and give us a hard time have, have changed and transformed and they find themselves under the power and presence of God. Why does that happen? Because it's the presence of God resident in our lives. And it should be the same with every one of us. The presence and the power of God resident on our lives. Amen. In Acts 4, 24, um, we, see a, we see another uh, physical manifestation here in Acts, 24, Acts 4, verse 24. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And verses 29 through 31 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And watch what happens. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If, can you just imagine being here in this building today and during worship, the building actually physically shaking? It was a physical manifestation of the power of God resident in the church. Now, let me say this about physical manifestations. Our focus is not on the manifestations themselves, whether it's a cloud, crying, running, shouting, falling, whatever it is, whatever manifestation, take your pick. That's not our focus. We don't live there, but they will happen, and it's okay that they do happen. It doesn't make you any more spiritual or less spiritual because you fall down when you receive prayer. But man, is it sure good when you get on the floor and the Holy Ghost starts working and cutting out the things of your life. It, this, we call that the Holy Ghost operating table. When you end up on the floor, that, that's, that's, don't get in any hurry. Stay there because the Holy Spirit's got a scalpel out and he's cutting things out and he's putting things in. So just linger and let him do what he needs to do. That's why we tell people, don't, don't pick people up off the floor. Don't hurry them up. Just let them lay there because God's doing something supernatural in their life. There's things that can happen in 20 minutes on the floor that you could try for a lifetime to see in your own strength accomplished. We've had people recently say that they felt like here in the church, they're in the presence of God here in the church, they felt like the sun was shining on their skin. You know, when you're, when you're out, oftentimes that's an indicator of the healing presence of God in a service. When you, you can feel, it's like the sun rays shining down on your skin and you feel that tangible presence like, like you were sitting under the sun, uh, sunbathing. It's the same thing with his presence. Oftentimes that indicates the healing presence of God present in a service. We've seen last week, we saw multiple healings take place, all physical manifestations of the power and the presence of God. It's very interesting that, that we can oftentimes accept that Jesus came, he was virgin birth, died on a cross, he ascended, but we can't accept the rest of supernatural Christianity, that there's going to be physical manifestations in his presence, that there's going to be speaking in tongues and all of these things happening. In Revelation Chapter 1, verse 10, and throughout Revelation 1, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And you know the, you know the story of John. He was in between a trance and a vision state. The Bible says that he fell. Jesus had, so, so John, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, there was physical manifestations. In Acts chapter 8, Verse 37 says, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, he was, he was ministering to the eunuch. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you, uh, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, were baptized by him. And when they came up of, out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So that, he, that, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found as, at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities and then came to Caesarea. In other words, Philip w was translated by God to a whole other city. He baptized this person in water, and the Spirit of God comes on him, picks him up, and literally takes him to another city. Man, can you imagine if I'm standing here preaching, and all of a sudden I disappear, and I'm, I'm in some other city preaching? And we're talking about the tangible presence of God, physical manifestations. The Bible, um, not the Bible, the history says about Azusa Street on the evening of Thursday, March 8th, we'll put this up, uh, on the Thursday of March, on the evening of Thursday, March 8th, an Edward Lee janitor and at a local bank and, lo and loyal believer hungry for more of whatever was being offered rose to his feet. He had a message to deliver to the assembled crowd. 
And he had been at work, but not working, hiding in the basement for hours on end as he had prayed long and hard for the Holy Spirit experience about which Seymour had excited so many of them. Here's William Seymour preaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and this guy's so troubled by it. He wants, uh, he's so hungry and wants this. He's at work, but not even working. He's locked himself in the basement praying for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Eventually, he had, he had experienced something of a breakthrough, a vision that seemed as real as the chairs on which his fellow believers sat as they listened to his story. What he had seen, or rather whom he had seen, were the apostles Peter and John. They looked at him, lifted their hands, and began to shake under the power of something mightier than usual and spoke in tongues. The vision ended, and Lee was left shaken, yet convinced that he had experienced a front-row demonstration of precisely what he had What was that that they were all in pursuit of? The retelling done, Lee's vision had raised the bar, excited, expectant, and the future was clearly at hand. Seymour laid his hands on his friend, who instantly keeled over. Lee was falling, his legs giving away inch by inch, and his joints doubled under themselves, tendons and muscles fleeing for some other body. Before anything else could happen, Pentecost Pentecost or otherwise, I love this, Lee's wife, the Mary who played more of a Martha role... I love that little commentary there. Intervened. There was no way she was allowing her husband to remain in such a state on the floor. The meeting may have been over, but it was clear to all that something profound had just begun. Here's this man who'd been seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. William Seymour, who hadn't even received the baptism in the Holy Spirit yet, comes up, lays hands on his friend. He falls to the floor, and wife says, oh no, my husband ain't laying on that floor. She comes, picks him up, and gets him off the floor, and takes him home. So if you feel like that, you're in good company. That was characteristic of Azusa Street when it started. The apostolic faith says this, souls were slain all about the altar the second night. We have felt an increase of power every night. At this writing in the office, the power in the meeting is felt. The heavenly anthem is heard and the shouts and praises of the saints. All the afternoon, there has been an altar service and souls coming through. A brother came this morning saying God had showed him that self was creeping in. Another said God had been showing him the same all night. The workers all got down before God and worship. The power fell. This is the way of victory, to go down before God. The great need is prayer. And so we have... These Pentecostal characteristics of Pentecostal church history in the Bible, that there's baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in tongues, passionate worship, and there's going to be physical manifestations. And we say, Lord, we want to be a Pentecostal church. Lord, let it, let it come. Whatever it looks like, Lord, let it come. And then fourthly, there's supernatural ministry. In Acts chapter 19 It says, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, I've seen this. I was in a church. It was so funny. I was in a church a while back, and and the the pastor, I'd been praying for folks, and we had had a supernatural night, and the pastor's wife came up to me, and she said, "Uh, there's this lady in the church, her son, they think, is demon-possessed. He's at home, refuses to come to church. He tears the house apart, tears his room apart, all of these things. I said, can you do something about that? I said, give me, give me something. Give me a handkerchief. Give me something. And, and all they had, it was so funny. Any of you all remember those little doilies that go over the Kleenex boxes? Well, it was one of those cute little churches that had doilies on their Kleenex boxes. So they gave me a doily off of a Kleenex box. I said, that's fine. I'll take that. We went... I, Carried that little thing with me. We went through the altar time, prayed for folks, had 
people healed. One girl had a gallbladder problem. She was supposed to go in. She was nine years old. Supposed to go in the next day for gallbladder surgery at nine years old. And um, during the service, God had said, there's someone, there's a little girl here. I said, there's a girl here with uh, intestinal trouble. God wants to heal you. Come forward. She came forward. She received prayer. She went to the doctor the next day, and they said, there's no need for surgery. You have a new gallbladder. We don't know where it came from or what happened. You have a new gallbladder. And so I carried that thing. That was kind of the caliber of the service we were in. So I carried that thing around with me, said to the mom, I said, I want you to take this home. When he's not looking, I want you to put it under the, the mattress, in between his mat mattress and box springs. Don't let him know it's there. Just put it in there. So they went home. Did that. I got a call from the pastor a couple weeks later. He said, you won't believe this. The mom took that thing home, put it in the bed, and they said immediately the atmosphere of the house changed. It went from this atmosphere of turmoil and anger, immediately went to an atmosphere of peace. The son came home, said, what'd you do to my room? Something's different. He, and she said, I didn't do anything to your room. And he slept there, and the next morning woke up completely in his right mind, had no more issues, no more trouble. And uh, so I'm telling you, the presence and power of God is tangible and is real. God wants to do supernatural signs and wonders. And by nature, this is funny, in Acts 19, by nature, miracles themselves are un unordinary. <laughs> By nature, miracles are extraordinary. And in Acts 19, Luke says that God worked unusual miracles. They, these were unordinary, unordinary miracles, in other words. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Acts chapter 9, we see that Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. He goes he, beside her and says, Tabitha, I say to you, arise. Dead people getting up from, the, from, dead, from death. The demon possessed set free, Acts 16, verses 16 through 18. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And the girl followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. She had the right message, wrong spirit, <laughs> literally the wrong spirit. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. All of these things are supernatural ministry. We wanted to see this happen. This needs to happen in our church. It should be happening in your personal life. A.B. Simpson says this about Acts 1.8, and we'll wrap up. This is the power of a person. But you shall receive power, the verse, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the power of a person. The right translation is you shall receive not power, but the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It is not your power, but his power. It is not abstract power under your control, but is a person, person, person whose presence with you is necessary to your possessing and retaining the power. The Holy Spirit is given to them that obey him, and obedience to the Holy Spirit is much larger thing than many dream. It is not merely to keep from doing wrong in some little contracted sphere, but it is to understand and follow the whole will and purpose of God in the use of this divine endowment. We cannot have it to please ourselves, even in the mode of our Christian work. We can only enjoy the fullness of the Spirit insofar as we use this fullness for the work to which He has called us. This verse is the measure and the limit of the Spirit's power. He has given that we will be witnesses of Christ, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can only know the fullness of the Spirit's power as we use it to give the gospel to the whole world. Only 
in line of the world's evangelization and the fulfillment of our great trust can the church of God ever realize the utmost meaning of the promise of Pentecost. Why do we have supernatural power? Why is the Holy Spirit power upon us and in us and flowing through us? And so that the world around us can be affected and brought to Christ through it. 